0: Our panel in studio this morning, Tom Clonan, security consultant, disability campaigner and retired army captain. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Good morning. Uh, Ono Mali, and to you, Ono Mali is a social scientist at the School of Law and Government in DCU. Good morning, Ono. How are you? Morning, how are you? and to you and Sheena Cahill is the president of the Union of Students of Ireland morning Morning. Sheena Uh, thank you all for coming in to be with us this morning especially with some of the traffic restrictions around the city Uh, even if it was easier to get in it might be easier to get out but uh, on that note front page of the Sunday Times back my Brexit or UK will never leave says Theresa May Theresa May will make one final push to get the House of Commons to adopt the withdrawal agreement this week warning Brexiteer MPs that they might risk a Hotel California Brexit where you can check out but you can never leave as the DUP continues It's contacts with senior Tory ministers Irish ministers have refrained From commenting on their discussions We are not going to be able to help the UK Or the DUP by getting in the middle It would be counterproductive Said an Irish government source also, a very interesting story in the front page of the Sunday Times today: Delaney's unexplained one thousand euro, ch- one hundred thousand euro, excuse me, one hundred thousand euro check to the FAI. John Delaney, chief executive of the FAI, wrote a personal check for one hundred thousand euro to his employer in 2017. Reports Mark Tighe uh, Delaney had refused to explain the reason for the payment, but I'll come back to that in a second. Last night, the FAI boss failed in an emergency application before the judge Anthony Barr of the High Court to prevent the Sunday Times from revealing details of the payment. Following a three-hour hearing, the judge ruled in favour of the newspaper's right to report the existence of the payment uh, subsequent to that going to press uh, the FAI did issue a statement saying that John Delaney had provided the FAI with a 100,000 euro bridging loan in April 2017 it was a short-term loan required to aid the cash flow on that occasion and it was repaid in full to John Delaney by the association in June 2017 uh, the CEO also confirmed that his UEFA remuneration for 2018 which I believe is 160,000 euro had been donated back to the FAI on a voluntary basis front page of the Sunday Independent pensions injustice as 86,000 people may wait till they die Uh, Philip Ryan reports that tens of thousands of pensioners wrongfully denied their full state pension face a further lengthy delay in receiving their proper weekly payments Sunday Independent can reveal the government promised last year that pensioners would uh, be rectified through an unfair anomaly in how pensions are calculated which mostly affects older women who were out of the workforce for some periods that they were told it would be rectified by the end of this month but the Sunday Independent says it's going to take a little bit longer than that Sunday Business Post Anglo cut and paste loan documents. The Quinn's family claims. Um, Francesca Common has this story. She says that Anglo Irish Bank used unauthorized, quote, cut and paste signatures on a 1 billion euro loan facility, according to new claims made in court by the family of former billionaire Sean Quinn, once Ireland's richest man. Uh, a, a bizarre story. Um, also below the fold there, um, Owen Murphy. My nimbyism guilt led me to remove the cap on tall buildings. Owen Murphy, the housing minister, reveals that he abolished the restrictions on tall buildings in cities due to guilt over his own nimbyism, that's not in my backyard-ism, when he was a member of Dublin City Council. Uh, Sunday World uh, stripped and burned Thug McGovern removes 250k fittings from the, the home seized from CAB uh, the Burn Gang's main man gives two fingers from Dublin Bolthold reports Nicola Tallant uh, and two of the other tabloids today report with the same lead story uh, the Irish Mirror Conor Reigns on Leo's Parade that's R-E-I-G-N-S uh, Conor McGregor upstaged the of Leo Varadkar at the head of St. Patrick's Day Parade in Chicago the UFC star wore a green sash emblazoned with his name as he walked with the city's mayor Ram Emanuel yesterday a senior government source confirmed that Mr. Varadkar knew nothing of the notorious appearance and the same story is on the front of the Irish Mail on Sunday uh, Varadkar's McGregor PR disaster it is described there I didn't know he'd be there says Leo as MMA fighter upstages the Taoiseach at Chicago Parade so plenty of stuff in the papers but one thing that is there across um, not necessarily all of the front pages but of course uh, covered at great length inside uh, is the aftermath of the events in Christchurch earlier this week um, Tom Clone, I'll start with you is there anything in particular that strikes you about the manner of the coverage this weekend?
1: Uh, well, it's just an, an horrific attack. And uh, in relation to the coverage, I mean, you know, with, with my background, what strikes me is just how lethal this attack was. Um, the first attack at the Al Noor mosque, uh, is it's estimated it took six minutes. And during that six minutes, uh, 49, now 50 people were killed. Mm. It's uh, a remarkable uh, rate, isn't in, it? In situ and, in, and a further <clears throat> 40 or so uh, seriously injured, M- many of them critically injured so to ki- to to shoot that many people in such a short period of time uh, it's estimated that he spent 8 seconds in the woman's prayer room 8 seconds and just 2 minutes in the in the men's prayer room he he interrupted it to go down to his his car apparently to get more ammunition and and to switch weapons so he, it's reported that he had two weapons an AR15 now this is the same weapon that was used in the Sandy Hook elementary school massacre mm. The uh, Pulse nightclub massacre, uh, the Port Arthur—this th- is just—I can't understand why civilians or anybody would have access to a weapon like well, that.
0: Well, as someone who has a bit of familiarity in that whole line of things, is you can't surmise any circumstances at all where a civilian would need a weapon like that. No,
1: there is no no requirement for it. And look, Gavin, that that weapon is dis- is designed to be effective out to about eight hundred meters. So if we had a clear line of sight, you could shoot somebody at the bottom of Grafton Street with that. Can you imagine the impact that a a high velocity round from that rifle would have on on somebody in a room of this size? Mm. And particularly children. The youngest, I think, victim was three years old. And, you know, surgeons who carried out uh, surgery on the victims of the Pulse uh, nightclub massacre will tell you that when, when you shoot somebody with a handgun, it's a low velocity round, a nine millimetre round. And on a CT scan, the injury looks like a, a thin linear grey line which goes through soft tissue and sometimes, you know, an, a, a vital organ like bowel, liver, spleen or what have you. But when you fire a high velocity assault rifle at somebody, and I, it's just unthinkable that you would do this to a child or to anybody, you mm. um, the, the the round en- enters the body. A high velocity round from a rifle enters the body at a very very high speed with a lot of kinetic energy, and and it generates a massive internal wound. It's called cavitation. Mm. It it causes the tissues to separate uh, for three or four inches along the path of the of the round, and and organs that come into yeah. contact with that p- uh, shockwave are actually pulped. It's like they've been struck with a like, it, it, sledgehammer. So you, can't, and, and you and cannot you cannot survive I, it.
0: I appreciate the reason why you're saying it, but like it's it's early morning. And, and it's, it's really good sure. stuff but I suppose But
1: I think though this is you, you can't prevent these attacks now because if an individual, you know, with no intelligence or criminal uh, profile decides um, to go in and, and, and shoot at people like this, whether it's in a school, a nightclub or in a, in a, in a mosque in New Zealand, um, we, we just have to consider, uh, you know, and, and they are doing this in New Zealand, whether or not these types of weapons should be available.
0: Well, with all of that in mind, then, I suppose you have to give some credit to the police and the security forces in terms of how quickly they were able to react. Obviously, if you can't prevent at least the degree to which they were able to, to mobilise in get there pretty quickly at least must be commended. As in all these cases this this incident would appear to have been closed down within 35
1: minutes so he was arrested I believe 35 minutes after the first phone call and arrested by ordinary cops on the beat and and this is what happened in the in the Paris uh, uh, nightclub shooting if you recall where I think over 50 people were killed it wasn't special forces it wasn't the, the ranger wing or the emergency response mm-hmm. unit it was ordinary cops on the beat who, who were first responders who came in and disarmed um, and actually shot one of the attackers on the stage using a, a small sidearm. So we know in the West now that and we haven't had an attack like this in Europe in 2018. I know it's it's so horrific. In in 2016 and 17 we'd hundreds of European citizens were killed in such attacks. Mm. In 2018 we just had 12 and that included the Strasbourg attack in December. But the Christchurch, New Zealand attack reminds us like Anders Breivik that you can get um, an attack from an unexpected quarter. Uh, you know, right-wing violence is on the increase. Mm. Uh, but, you know, who would have thought that this could happen in New Zealand? It's a bit like the Stockholm attack, you know, in a country not unlike Ireland. So we have to really think about this and ask ourselves the question, if something like that happened in Ireland, would we be able to respond in a timely way? Well, there uh, were twelve operating theatres working throughout the night in, in 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 Christchurch to to deal with the mm. the 40 injured, and their lives were
0: saved. Well, I, d- I do want to bring in um, Sheena, and know, but just before I do, on that note, um, I remember it being claimed at the time throughout 2015 and 2016, when these were more prevalent in Europe, that the frontline guardy who knew that they would be the first responders in such a circumstance that they felt dramatically underprepared for that sort of environment because there might have been a strategic plan drawn up at some more senior level of the security force but they didn't feel that was being communicated to those on the rank and file who would be the first people on the scene. Three years on or four years on, do you, do you think that situation's changed? Uh, uh,
1: you know, the the, the Gardie, individual Guardi are absolutely excellent and um, they have responded to um, other incidents in the city centre very, very quickly. Um, and our our young male and female Guardi will, will respond, but, you know, with a high-vis jacket. I don't know how useful that will be. There are armed guardi at all times within, you know, uh, short. Sure, there's tactical firearms units and so on. But unfortunately, and I, I don't like to say this, but the, the representative associations will tell you that there's serious underinvestment in Angarda Shikhan and race communications technology, um, software, vehicles, weapons, and training. And they don't have the proper training for, for these incidents. But I have absolutely no doubt in my mind that, and especially in a day like today when we have, you know, up to a million people in the city, mm. um, that the guards will do anything and everything. That's social contracts still exist I want well, to just say one last thing Gavin I sure. was out at Friday Prayers in the Blanchardstown Prayer Centre with uh, Sheikh Umar Al Kadri uh, a couple of weeks back and if you had seen just I'd never been to Friday Prayers in Dublin obviously I've, I've been to prayers in the Middle East But the atmosphere was electric out there in Blanchardstown and in the women's room, you know, all the women and and, and girls together and and the men. And it's it's really hard to describe. It was an electric atmosphere. Everybody greeting each other after the week. And those communities are so strong. You know, Muslims from everywhere, like Lithuania to Mm -hmm. Pakistan to Afghanistan. And I, I can't, it was like Christmas Day and to imagine that somebody would target something like that. So I think, as in all cases, we, these attacks are designed to draw drive a wedge between you know, all communities, not yep. just here, but internationally, and we really have to stand shoulder to shoulder okay. with our Muslim brothers and sisters on this and, and show them solidarity and show them support.
0: Um, Sheena Carl, I'm reluctant to immediately just portray you as being the spokesperson for young people, but I suppose as, as president of USI, that's a role that you're probably familiar with being cast in anyway. Um, there's been so much discussion in the last couple of days about social media and the role that it might have played in helping to uh, or assisting in the radicalization of people who would be responsible for an atrocity like this. Uh, you're from a generation which has never really um, not had social media, that you've kind of grown up in that environment where there has always been that instant connectivity. Do you feel that social media, while clearly being responsible to some degree, is being used as a convenient scapegoat because it's just like saying that you know telephones are being used to radicalise people, or the printing press.
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, Ayla Johansson actually in the in the in the Sunday Independent today actually had an interesting take on this, where she cons- was talking about how no technology is innocent, uh, and that even in its in, in its day, certainly the press um, and, and and traditional papers were used to spread propaganda uh, as much as, as as social media might be nowadays. Um, so it's it the idea that we would uh, that we would scapegoat social media, um, like like Facebook and Instagram, as being the cause of mm. violence, or the or or the the space in which uh, somebody you know is the or the only space in which somebody could become radicalized, is I think absolutely a scapegoat. Yeah. And I think it's an excuse.
0: But there is probably to the flip side of that though is that it is so saturated that at least when the printing press arrived, it wasn't something that everybody had access to in the corner of their pockets, and at least there was, if not necessarily filtered, that the the barrier to access was that little bit higher.
2: Now surely, and I mean in the internet nowadays, in comparison to the kind of way we would have in the past. Consumed traditional media along the lines of print or radio. Uh, the internet now is operating on the idea of like effectively bombarding you constantly with information uh, and making, particularly young people, very psychologically anxious. Uh, and, I, and I think that there's there, that is clear, you know, um, in, in numerous studies, um, relatively recently. Mm. Um, but absolutely, I think it's concerning. I think that, and I think people are, are discussing this more and more uh, around the this, this space that social media now. Occupies occupies in our lives um, and the way in which people connect is so different to what it was in the past and how we're therefore able to spread information um the idea that uh, somebody could walk into a mosque and have a live stream video from their head in in, in, in effectively what looked like gameplay um is is something that I think we we, co- we couldn't really have, have have understood in the mm. past and I think even when we're thinking about you know how how are social media companies actually and, and the likes of Facebook and Instagram etc how are they going to tackle this absolutely. As Ailish O'Hanlon points out, they've been leaden-footed um, in responding to this. So the idea isn't that you know, because absolutely, I think there's there's this the conversation very is very necessary around you know the possibility of censoring mm. and the idea that you would then you would kind of in, encroach on people's freedoms if you were if you were to not allow people access uh, to putting up content online um, or or the or, or or kind of cracking down on what kind of content that they can put up. But I do think they are being leaden-footed in their reaction to this and they're not being quick enough at all.
0: I'm not sure if it was in one of the papers today, on O'Malley, but I saw the point being made that, in fact, a lot of the technology companies, the likes of Twitter and Facebook, actually have technology to filter all of this out instantaneously already because there are other countries like Germany, for example, where they have obvious sensitivities towards neo-Nazi mm-hmm. material, uh, where they're able to, to eliminate this as soon as it's almost just put it up, it's, it's instantaneous. So the fact that they don't apply that sort of filtering on a worldwide basis suggests that they actually are in some way, you know, taking a completely laissez faire attitude that really, given the circumstances, they really can't afford to justify anymore.
3: I suppose there's a question as to whether these companies are public spaces that we're all using to kind of communicate yeah. with each other or whether they're actually publishers. Uh, and some people will say they're publishers and they have a responsibility to control what's been said. Then we are talking inevitably about censorship, and I mean, I'm not sure that that technology is—I—I I, I would almost be willing to bet my house, maybe not—that uh, that technology isn't as good as it sounds, uh, and so maybe it just gets keywords. And so we can't yeah. have a conversation about nat- uh, Nazism. Do you or. think
0: we have that difficulty, though? Like you, you said there, whether it is the forum, whether it's the means. Like is, is Facebook the town square or is it the megaphone? Like, And it's a difficult thing that I don't hmm. think we've really gotten on top of.
3: And yet. I and I think people think it has to be the one or the other. And I, I'm not sure that it can be. I think it is a greyer area. And so we do. There are times where obviously Facebook has a duty to go in and take stuff off but I don't think we'd like if you know suddenly we weren't allowed to have a conversation because Facebook has decided that you know this isn't uh, maybe for commercial reasons something that we liked our company to be associated with. Uh, so it, it's a difficult, difficult so, area.
0: What do you then see with your social scientist hat on? What do you see as being the correct, uh, you know, somewhat moderated, not overreactive response to something like this in terms of either some sort of restriction on that sort of expression? Or do we do we have to put a legal obligation on these social networks to do something or should we just appeal to their conscience or, or what do we do?
3: You know, obviously, you just the easier way to do it is to appeal to their conscience and you start off with that. And then if if that doesn't work, you I mean, how I'm I'm not sure how it's how easy it is for actually Facebook con- to control things. Because once that video is out there and say a million people have downloaded it, then another, a million people are able to upload it sure. again. And so how they I mean, it, it is whack-a-mole that business then that. It, it's going to be hard to control uh, its distribution. Obviously, Facebook has a duty to try to stop it, but I'm I'm just not sure it's as easy as as some people claim.
0: Uh, Tom, very briefly on that topic, um, it, it seems that Facebook had to be informed by the New Zealand police that in fact that video had been streamed and it took 35 minutes uh, for them to be informed and to take it down, which again, we credited the, the police for their, you know, quite vigorous and quite sincere and immediate reaction to all of this but that you would think that Facebook might have popped that something was awry if if they were getting traffic for 35 mm, minutes first.
1: It's so difficult to... I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm certainly no defender of Facebook, but I mean, if you even recall that when the Costa Concordia, the cruise liner sank off uh, an Italian island, uh, footage went straight up on Facebook of uh, water flooding the shopping arcade within it. Mm. And it turned out that that footage was actually uh, flooding in Dundrum shopping centre from the year previously. So there is so much footage uh, out there. It's very difficult for anybody to know, you know, even... What you're looking at is it real? Is it in real time? Is this old footage? Is this something that was filmed in in Afghanistan or uh, during a you know a Taliban attack on a, on a on a Shia mosque? Or is this something that's from? Uh, I I wouldn't blame. Now, in, in these small instances, I wouldn't be inclined to blame the organisations. Uh, I think the, it's difficult for them to police something. as I think you said there are more web pages. Mm. Shane was saying there's more web pages than there are new, neurons oh, in the it, human brain. Yes. Yeah, Tim yeah.
2: Berners Lee was in um, it was in A. article. There are more web pages than neurons in the brain.
1: Yeah. So one thing though, I think that um, you know, individual responsibility shouldn't you know, th- and. One thing I feel really strongly about is that I don't think anybody should be allowed on social media unless they have their identity out there. Because uh, I find you know but a lot of a lot of the there ev-
0: good reasons sometimes though for people not to have their identity shared, and that, it, may, it might be because we have a fairly liberal discourse in this part of the world, but there are other parts of the world where if you were identified as a person, point that's taken, what you're saying.
1: didn't <laughs> didn't think of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay, back to the start. Back to square. It's so it's so difficult though, isn't it, to get your head around it? Um, you know, and you know what you were saying Owen about uh, you know the technology. Like, there's there's such potential for good in mm. social media, and people can can publish and broadcast, and you know we hear lots of really useful interesting things and for the most part most of the conversations I have in that space are, are positive and constructive but there is a dark uh, component there there is a part of the spectrum that's really vitriolic and really abusive and, and
2: social media even at the moment is being used in, in, with regard to the Christchurch attack um, to just to dis- to display how incredible humanity is, as mm-hmm. well. I mean, the the front of a think of the Sunday Times talked about how a father, uh, you know, lay across his son and took bullets for him uh, mm-hmm. in order to save his life. And th- that that those kind of stories being portrayed, um, you know, are giving people hope. Um, and uh, through what is an incredibly dark day, uh, for the people of New Zealand and and, and those connected to them.
0: Did we struggled though, Sheena, with the responsibility not to to share the the negative stuff. We obviously clearly want to sure. share the positive stuff to get positive messages out there and to show that this isn't just an entirely evil you know, episode, mm. but whether it's something like this or whether it's something like the crash a few weeks back on the M50, mm. uh, that we all have a responsibility to be a little bit more discerning about what we choose to put in other people's people. Absolutely,
2: timelines. I mean, and some people would, would classify it as natural human curiosity, but I think if we do make that connection with with that crash, I mean, I I happened to be in a taxi myself uh, the day after the crash, and the taxi driver uh, turned around and, and, and sh- tried to show me the video because it had been passed without down to him. instigating. Absolutely, it to, oh. did not even ask me um, whether I wanted to see it, uh, and that kind that kind of stuff is absolutely horrifying. Um, and there is this you know there's a, there's a there's a mor- there's a serious moral questions to be asked but i think when we're talking about the organisations who are now at the heart of that moral quandary around Facebook and, and, and other groups, they, I don't think they can be blamed for it, but certainly they are not acting quick enough and they do have the technology to do something quicker than the, what they have been doing. Uh,
0: let us know what you think the social media companies should be doing. 53106 is their text number at a cost of 30 cent or we're on Twitter at News Talk FM. You're listening to On The Record with Gavin Riley, uh, Mac with more from the panel in just a moment imagine the parade organizers invited him, but um, I think that's up to the organizers of the parade
1: to decide who they want to march in the parade. Um, I don't think he was representing the country. I think that's kind of what I was doing Minister Ring, quite frankly, and that's why we're here.
0: Uh, that is the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar speaking to reporters including news talk Shane Beatty, when he was asked about sharing the front of the St. Patrick's Day parade in Chicago with the notorious uh, Conor McGregor We're back, going through the morning papers with our panel Tom Clone and Owen O'Malley and Sheena Cowell um, there's a lot of coverage as I mentioned on the front pages of that and whether the Taoiseach was upstaged uh, but Owen there's also one picture that's uh, been doing the rounds since the papers went to print I think um, of another photograph of some other prominent Irish political leaders on St. Patrick's Day do you want to tell us about it? Yes
3: yeah, so Sinn Féin have tweeted out a photo of it Leader, or they called her their president, uh, standing b- beside the Brehan Law Society with a, in, behind a banner that says "England, get out of Ireland." And Sinn Fein in their tweets say, "No explanation needed." Do uh, rea- you disagree? The reaction is that yes, a lot of explanations are needed because it. I mean, it it seems to be f- some of the basest kind of uh, typical brick bashing that you'd hope that post Good Friday. Uh, no. you're, you're meant to get away from. Is it not just away from.
0: Republicans being Republican?
3: It is Republicans being Republicans but they can't go off to New York and, you know, hang around and play best pals with Irish America and, uh, and feed their people over there this sort of line and then come back here and say, "Oh, actually, we want to try and we want everybody to sign up to the Good Friday Agreement and to implement the Good Friday Agreement. Part of the Good Friday Agreement is that actually Britain has a role in Ireland and they've agreed to that. I mean, it's it's also if they want to get England out of Ireland, there's effectively direct rule in Northern Ireland at the moment. Karen Bradley, who they want to resign, is ah, is, is the Secretary yes. of State. Yeah. Why don't they just set up and uh, get back in and and uh, uh, re, uh, reset up Stormont, well, and well, that w- might get England well, out of Ireland? Well,
0: what was particularly interesting about this is that obviously it's been uh, panned by the usual Unionist commentators. I'm looking at a statement from Gregory Campbell, who says that when slogans such as <laughs> "Brits out" or "England out of Ireland" are used, that the Unionist community is well within its rights to see themselves as the intended focus because they are, you know, the the British presence in Ireland is actually. the unionist population north of the border uh, but that it was equally slammed by the SDLP and by the alliance too uh, alliance leader Naomi Long says the banner is not just profoundly stupid brackets England is not now and has never been or could be in Ireland uh, but it sends out a hostile and offensive message to anyone English or of English extraction in this island um, Tom do you agree with that or do you think that there ha- ultimately you can't be all that surprised if republicans are going to use well, the opportunity of Ireland's national holiday to okay, advance I'm, the cause of Irish I'm, republicanism
1: I'm, I'm going to be the outlier here so, first of all, you know, as a, for eleven years as a as an army officer, a member of Heron, our primary threat was Provisional IRA, hmm. and obviously there was a very strong link with uh, with Sinn Fein, um, a lot of crossover. Um, but we have had a peace process. And we have had an extraordinary improvement in our relations with with Britain. Uh, When the Queen of England came to Dublin, I mean, it was the same year that Barack Obama came and everybody was going, President Obama's coming to Ireland. Oh, and the Queen of England too. But it turned out that 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 visit by the Queen of England was such a, a resounding success and the warmth in the relationship. But all of a sudden then we have the intervention of Brexit and you see... The interference of people like Boris Johnson, Rhys Mogg, the, what do they call them, the the, the Bullingdon Club? That's the influence of England in Ireland and it is toxic. And when Gregory Campbell refers to himself as British, that's not what this sign says. This says England out of Ireland. It's not talking, you know, the unionist community are not English, they're British. They're certainly not English, so I think there's a there's a there's a specific message in that. Now Sinn Fein are unavowedly, unashamedly republican. They want a United Ireland, and I do think we are transiting in that direction. We're in a phase of a movement towards United Ireland. I would hope that it's this new United Ireland is a new republic, not just an amalgamation of what we have here and what what what's extant in in the six counties, but. But leaving that aside, so it's it's part of Sinn Féin's uh, sort of uh, rhetoric, their mm. their repertoire to, to talk about, you know, getting England out of Ireland. I mean, after all, Sinn Féin means ourselves. Let's govern ourselves. Let's govern the island. And unfortunately, at the moment, the influence of Westminster on this island is, is quite toxic. And Karen Bradley, at any other time, she would be gone, and she should be gone. Her 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 statements in advance of the direction of the PPS in Northern Ireland to only prosecute one soldier uh, for for the Bloody Sunday incident. I mean, it just it it was really horrible. So, part of me uh, is sympathetic with the sentiment. You know, well, Mm. I understand it. The sentiment, but but there is also a part of me. Sorry, but part of me feels very sorry that we're back in this space. But I think Brexit, Brexiteers have put us there. It's not something that anyone on this island has has sought out Those or, sorts or of looked posters for. have
3: been going around a lot longer, bef- well before Brexit was ever around. It's Mary Lou McDonald chose to put herself behind that. I mean, it
1: well, that's that's her that's her
3: role. She's I, around, she's looked around Sinn Fein. That's that's what she has to do. She's if, to speak if we to we her. Are transiting towards the United Ireland, surely it's also Sinn Fein's duty to try and think, imagine what that united Ireland will look like and we can't just wish away the unionist community and I think Gregory Campbell is right that it is targeted at them
0: Uh, Congratulations to whoever in the listener sweepstake had 11.31 is the first time in which we would mention Brexit uh, in the show but speaking of ministers who in other circumstances would have been completely thrown out in their ear uh, this week Sheena was the week in which uh, I think no fewer than eight members of Theresa May's cabinet uh, deliberately voted against her own instruction in a manner of a three-line whip where there was no free vote allowed in which an any other circumstances, they would have been completely turfed out in their mm. ears too, and it seems that Theresa May is now so preposterously weak that she can't even discipline people who are voting the way that she wants.
2: Yeah, it's absolute madness. Like you'd be, you'd be shook trying to follow the whole thing. Um, to be honest with you, um, um can we say about that? one <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was in, I was actually in in, in German, Germany uh, this week, uh, and in the uh, speaking in the Bundestag uh, for an for an International Women's Day event. And one of the the questions I was asked was, you know, wh- what as the Irish representative there? Uh, though obviously I wasn't representing the state did I think of um, you know the, the whole thing that was going on in mm. in Britain and to be honest I think my, my and my gut reaction as with many people I know is we don't actually know what good news is anymore uh, we don't we do, when, when we were following you know whether DP, DUP were going to vote one way or the other nobody actually knows whether whether we want that or not anymore um, because the, such so, so confusing is the whole thing and um, for sure, it's bizarre to watch, you know, an escalating scenario of like, well, maybe third time lucky for Theresa May. Mm, um, or and fourth. Yeah, and, and indeed, I mean, you know, and it, was, it was a quote you, you referenced at the beginning. It's on the front of the Times, but where, where Theresa May says, you know, we don't want to face a kind of a Hotel California Brexit. And then kind of a very ominous tone where you can check out, but you can never leave. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, you, we, you we've can had just
0: blindfold Brexit. We've had hard, we've had soft, but Hotel California Brexit. Uh, breakfast brexit <laughs> to be undernourished this morning that's a new one though it's, isn't it?
2: ha- it's hard to believe that we're where we are where we are with it and and, and the idea of course and Vr- 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 is coming back saying you know we want to give them as much time as possible mm. uh, in, in order to leave etc and and to, to work their, their crap out but it, it watching it from here uh, you know it's hard to believe it's hard to believe when you think about the conversations that were happening during the the, the, the referendum itself where there was a complete lack of understanding that there was even a land border uh, with the European Union in and on the island of Ireland, and I think flowing from that, that uh, you know, the, the banner that uh, that Mary Lou stood behind does smack of of that. Uh, for me, I mean, I think I think it was a bad taste, and I think it's bad timing.
0: Um, Ona Malid, what do you think are the prospects of uh, meaningful vote three or MV3s has already been shorthanded uh, making its way through the Commons this week? Because even if they were to get the 10 DUP members on site, they will bring a lot of backbenchers with them, but not yeah. necessarily enough.
3: Yeah. so the DUP aren't, in terms of numbers, aren't aren't going to mean anything, but they will mean something in that they will make it easier. If So as as is reported on the front of the Sunday Times, if the DUP, they seem sound as if they're trying to talk themselves back from the cliff edge. And as if they're hoping to be able to support uh, MV3, uh, although it really is a meaningless vote at No, we're making it stick now, stage. that's it. <laughs> um, uh,
0: but the talk of, when there's already talk of meaningful vote four, it's very difficult yeah, so to think that three is Dup- going to Dup- go too well. The
3: DUP falling, uh, it as a domino falling, might put some of the ERG, uh, push them along. I don't know it's I mean she's still she was 140 votes or 150 votes mm. short this time
0: last week uh, so it's difficult to see how she'll make that up but if the votes start coming more thick and fast eventually she's going to keep bridging the gap and well, will presumably, reach some sort yeah, of meaningful pre- vote singularity yeah, at some so point yeah so presumably <laughs> a
3: lot of people aren't Signing up until there's a sense that their vote will matter. So, if there is a sense that sh- she's getting close, it could be by the end of next week. It's just a lot of feet due.
2: and spoiled children mentality, is is is, is my my feeling about that. I'm, I'm
0: liking the cut of your jib on this between this, the, the shook and the crap and this, the, the spoiled children. I'm, I'm liking your bluntness. Um, the, it's a bizarre situation where it seems that if MV3 or MV4, whenever it is, If it were to get over the line, it will solely be because Theresa May has failed her way to that point and that they will just be so petrified of what comes next, whether it be no Brexit at all or whether it be the no deal that they are just petrified. Somebody described it as failing your way
3: to victory Uh, and it kind of is that. And I mean, maybe this was a strategy that she kind of said, if I get them close enough to the cliff edge, they they will eventually uh, just... The fear in there will, will reach their eyes and they will
0: will they will, uh, turn back. And it seems like it might just work. Uh, Dan Long has tweeted to say that England out of Ireland, no way is that aimed at unionists. The fact that you have a southern unionist on your panel shows that. Which of the three of you wants to put your hand up for that? I'm not a <laughs> unionist. <laughs> okay. uh, if, uh, if you or anyone else would like to identify a closet unionist on the show, do get in touch. 53106 is the text number. We're also on Twitter at NewstalkFM. Back with more from the panel in just a moment.
1: The law must apply to everyone. I don't think we should have um, statutes of limitation on this. Obviously, a fair and proper judicial process must take place. But what happened on Bloody Sunday was awful.
0: That is the British Labour Party leader Jeremy Corbyn who's been speaking to Sky News this morning saying that it's right that a British soldier should be facing trial over his actions on Bloody Sunday. Uh, we're still going through that and uh, other things in the papers this morning with our panel Tom Clonan, Ona Malley and Sheena Cahill. Uh, Tom, on that, um, it seems that obviously the people who are relatives of the alleged victims of Soldier F who's now going to face trial for his actions on Bloody Sunday they will obviously welcome that but its is it too difficult to expect the relatives of all the other victims on the day to use that as a trial by proxy that it's never really going to be justice for their loved ones? Um,
1: it, it, it's a pity that uh, there wasn't sufficient evidence to charge other members of the parachute regiment because what they did that day was clearly in breach of the the rules of engagement and uh, the, the the rules of engagement as such are, have not changed over over time. So the the law as it stood when the first battalion of the parachute regiment went into uh, Derry on that on that day um, are, are the same as today. So the the the, the, the principle of prevention, not mm. not punitive action, minimum force justification and legal requirements. Legal requirements refers to the type of weapon that's used at what range and so on. The, the parachute regiment were in clear breach of all of those and the Savile inquiry, you know, reached that conclusion and David Cameron apologised. Um, So it's just a pity that it would seem that the the, the prosecution service were not able to come up, this is what they're telling us, Mm. with sufficient evidence to charge more than than soldier Uh, Had
0: they reviewed it earlier in time before a lot of this was lost to memory or the sands of time or that people had had passed away without being able to hand over a lot of this? Do you think that the decision, uh, if it were made 10 or 20 years ago, would have been much different?
1: I think justice delayed is justice denied I think the, the British government the, the dreaded English to whom we were referring to earlier uh, dragged their heels in this they had whitewash after whitewash I'm actually amazed that a British soldier will be in the dock and I'm delighted to see it because when you go out on patrol uh, carrying armed weapons you have greater responsibilities under the law you don't have any extra rights you have greater responsibility and that's drilled into every soldier and people like uh, General Sir Mike Jackson who who later went on to become Chief of, chief of Staff he was adjunct at the time he has questions to answer when we had the you you know the stadium disaster uh, it was the um, you'll have to help me out here No, the, the one in the UK. Hillsborough. Hillsborough. It, it was the chief of the police uh, of the operation who, who was charged with criminal charges. Mm. Not the ordinary bobbies on the street. What you're seeing here with Soldier F, he is, absolutely should be in the dock and should, and should be charged with murder and attempted murder because it's clear to me that that's what happened on the day. It was a turkey shoot. God forgive me for using that language but that's what it was and it was disinhibited and, and it was it was really explicit what they were out to do. Two people were knocked over by cars. I mean, come on. But anyway... Um, to get back to the to the point mm. we, we have had uh, you know the war crimes tribunal for former Yugoslavia still working w- its way through uh, murders that took place uh, you know 25, 30 years ago uh, we have lots of instances around the world uh, where people are pursued, charged and convicted decades after crimes are committed in Germany there's still I think last year we still had a, a Nazi who was, uh, was convicted in court for his role in one of the death camps mm. so this idea here oh well the Ireland is somehow different you know you know, this happened a long time ago it only happened the day before yesterday and the legacy issues in
0: Northern Ireland are really really important we cannot have reconciliation on this island without truth you mentioned in passing there the aforementioned English uh, Sean Marlow has tweeted in to say oh no Mal can't even read the banner in the US says England out of Ireland nothing about the people in the north uh, who aren't English Any response to that?
3: I think, I'm with Gregory Campbell on this, unfortunately, (laughs) that it might be directed at at the unionist population as well.
0: Um, well, I did want to come to you about one other story that's in today's papers. The opinion poll in the Sunday Times, it has the usual um, margin of error movements for for the major parties, but it also seems um, quite clear that most people would be in favour of backing the referendum later in the year on giving our expats and our citizens abroad a chance to elect the president. Are you surprised by how comfortably that looks like set to pass, given that people might say... You know, if you're not paying taxes or not resident in the state, mm-hmm. you shouldn't have much to do with it running. Uh,
3: I think it's probably the sort of thing people will instinctively be for because it sounds like a nice, it sounds like a good idea. And I suspect without thinking about it too deeply, you'll, you're going to be for it. I'd prefer if we were giving votes to immigrants. So allowing people who lived here and are paying taxes here uh, the right to vote in the Dáil elections. And I'd also like maybe if we were going to do this, to, to create what most other countries do which is to create a kind of dull constituency or a Shannon
0: constituency to, for emigrants. Mm. Uh, I'm that not would sure that it's a referendum ra- in itself though, wouldn't it? Pardon? That would require a referendum in itself. It would, yes. But you'd rather see that than rather than I'd having I'd it, th- a, a slightly more ceremonial office. I think
3: office. Uh, allowing people to uh, vote for the Irish presidency which, let's face it, doesn't really matter. It's just symbolism, it's not actually giving any, it's not empowering immigrants to ha- have any say about the country. Yeah, um, I really would prefer if it were immigrants who were voting. I,
0: I have to say I'm actually surprised at just the, the sheer margin that it illustrates right now, <coughs> that it has 65% in favour, 22 who vote no, and then 14 are undecided, which is 3 to 1.
3: It's the sort of thing, though, that can change really quickly. I mean re- yes, remember once the debate if, kicks off. Once you have a debate, I remember there was a, in the uh, eroctus uh, Committee's referendum, you had one letter in the Irish Times more or less changed the whole course of the debate it's probably an issue that people don't have strong opinions on and so are likely to move once that campaign starts
0: um, Sheena there's also a lot of coverage in today's papers about the uh, the climate change demonstration which took place on Friday uh, around the country and indeed uh, around the world as well and there's some of it is, is quite laudatory and some of it is, is uh, commending those young people for having some idealism and then some other commentary seems uh, very cynical because those people showed up to the demos in cars and they went home again in cars and if the kids didn't have firm politics. To bring to the government, then what were they doing out on the streets?
2: Yeah, sure. I mean, um, the two articles that I was looking at was that uh, Brendan O'Connor's in the front page of the Indo, and um, which talked about the the le- kind of talk was talking about leadership, uh, and, and and looking at the leadership of this generation the the, the young people that that came um, to to what's called kind of fr- fi- Fridays for Future uh, from around the country. I think one of the stats that David Robbins then in the Times had in his article was around the fact that this took place in 120 countries in 2,000 locations, uh, organised by effectively and attended by one million. Mm. Uh, young people. In Dublin alone, I was actually at it myself. I, I was I ended up being a steward at it and um, there was 11,000 at least young people. And yeah. and, and when we arrived, um, you know, very early, before, before it was even due to kick off, one side of Stephens Green was like entirely filled um, with secondary school students uh, and older primary school students. And to be honest, I go to rallies and I go and, or- and I organise protests all of the time. But I have never felt yeah, be, the energy. You'd be thrilled um, to have eleven
0: thousand people. I, I, nice I would. House, um,
2: <laughs> but uh, but this was there was the energy, in this was incredible. And I think. For me, I think what was so powerful about it was that you didn't have adults on stage; it was just young people, and most of them were like 15 or 16. Uh, you know, a couple of spe- speeches. Oscar, that was the one in Dublin as well. Uh, but the, the point I think for me was that you know, of course, it there's there's idealism driving this, and and, and some of the sentiment might have been quite simplistic in terms of like we do, we want action. But there were some there were very clear demands around reduction of of, of fossil fuel use in, in Ireland and and the way we use our energy. But also, I think quite pointedly, the idea. Is that you know, it's easy for the government to turn around and say this is about individual actions, and it's about your keep cups, and it's about whether you arri- you arrived in a car or not. And um, when actually, I think th- this uh, what, what what was demonstrated very very clearly by the thousands of children and young people on the streets all over Ireland that day was the government has to act on its emissions uh, targets that they're not going to make. Like there's going to be. You know, I'm in the business of talking all the time about investment in publicly funded uh, education for third level uh, and it's something that we call for in USI but the reality is that there is, if we're now going to be Basically, forking out money out of uh, f- because of fuels emissions, and because we haven't been meeting our targets, then there's not going to be the money for things like education that are so incredibly in- uh, invaluable uh, in this society.
0: I don't know whether you realise, but when I mentioned some of the commentary that was a little bit more cynical and saying that people shouldn't have been showing up to that rally mm. in private cars, I was sort of half looking at the panelist sitting right beside you who made that point on Twitter a couple of days ago.
3: Yeah, uh, so my kids were at the, this rally and. We were they had, dropped
0: in their car? No, they
3: were not. They cycle everywhere, as do I. Uh, we had a we kind of talked about it the night before because they were chosen as part of their school to go to go I- into this, and we talked about it, and I tried to make the point to them, you know you have to think about your own behaviour as well mm. and one of the things that strike like that is is collective action and collectively people it shows can demonstrate how much power they have and so what I would like if people were doing and so I made a point and got lambasted on Twitter as usual <laughs> um, that you know people should be cycling to these things and everyone said oh no we need government infrastructure and I think kind of get the impression that everybody's demanding things from the government but don't realize that they actually have power especially collectively if if all those kids had said we're going to just take over the streets and every friday we're going to cycle and bugger the cars we're just going to cycle and s- stay in the center of the road collectively they have so much power
2: i don't think that's fair given that most of the students that showed up would have come in buses or came from no, I, came know, it, no came I know all of, no i know that no i was making a point when i was last... dropping yeah. when
3: i was cycling to my to my daughter's school there were the usual they were all wearing their green stuff and jumping out of 4x4s four
0: um, A few texts on uh, the Christchurch and, and the reaction of social media Here's a radical idea to lessen the impact of social media when atrocities happen says Ciarán Simply shut them all down for a few hours Alex says Newspapers have printed front page stories of car wreckage along with their, their stories for years and photographs Nothing really new there uh, And someone else says that blaming social media for what is posted by individuals is playing a pathetic blame game We cannot expect social media to be our moral compass uh, And Pat has texted in on a separate story and says that That's quite the stretch that Tom Clonan has had to make to defend Mary Lou on this. Owen O'Malley has it right. You have at least one sympathiser. (laughs) Look at you. Um, We have about two minutes left before I need to let you go. So very briefly in about 30 seconds. uh, I'll start with you, Tom. What does St. Patrick's Day mean to you? I'll tell you what it means. I cycled in here and I got
1: stopped when I came just at the entrance of the Stephen Screen Shopping Centre. I rolled my bicycle onto the footpath and I was stopped by two members of the NYPD. And they said, get off the sidewalk. I mean, how often does that happen where you get stopped in Dublin by the NYPD? So that's what St. Patrick's Day means to me. Going back to the 70s, seeing majorettes from all over the UK getting sleeted and snowed on and being frozen out of their out of their minds. But, you know, I'm really proud to see Ireland represented so strongly all around the world, uh, Colin McGregor notwithstanding. And and I think that that's a great... Um, advantage we have that recognition and the, you know the buildings all around the world be a little bit green and um, you know we're, we're a great force in the world or diaspora and so on I'll stop now
0: uh, Sheena what does it mean to you?
2: Um, well I think no it, 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 more than what uh, President um, Michael D kind of came out with this morning I think going green needs to mean uh, going green for climate change as well hear, hear. Um, and I think that that's something it, I think from here on in I think that's something that we need to embody if we're going to talk about how great we are across the world and, and talk about our influence to make money uh, how else are we going to use our influence and I think it needs to be for good
0: okay fair point well made uh, Owen O'Malley final word to you what does St Patrick's Day mean to you? I think
3: we can be cynical about Irish America sometimes, uh, and I think we underestimate how important the connection to Ireland is for those Irish Americans. And I think part of one of the things we should take from it is just to remember how these are actually kind of our cousins and literally our cousins Mm. uh, and they should be respected and their identity as Irish Americans should be should be respected. Do you
0: think that we put a little bit too much stock on the American side that we still have go after the whole we're closer to Boston than Berlin thing when actually really we ought to be putting more eggs in the European basket now?
3: Well, I think we have, a, I'm glad to see we are doing that and, you know, there's an, there are Irish communities all over the world and we're, I mean, we're, we're we're looking at Buenos Aires at Berlin various other places as well.
0: Um I have to say actually just having personally been through it now for four out of the last five years I know that there are people who think otherwise but I think we'd be nuts to give up the prospect of the Oval Office thing because actually aside from the fact that you have access to whoever it is no matter who the occupant is of that office if you were to give it up you would never ever get Click it back again. and there are other countries that would give their right arm for that kind of access that we get every single year. Uh, we are completely out of time so I'm going to have to leave it there my huge thanks uh, for all of you guys for coming in to St Patrick's Day. Tom Clonan, security consultant disability campaigner retired army captain, O'No social scientist at the School of Law and Government in DCU and Sheena Cahill president of the Union of Students in Ireland.